2: It's Jaguar and welcome back to Utopia Talks. This podcast is my way of using my platform to tackle the issues that we face in dance music and beyond and create change. We've come to the last episode of series one and I can't believe it, but I've got a big one for you for this season's finale. We're shining a spotlight on the black originators and black innovators in dance music. The electronic music world was founded and cultivated by black people, people of colour and the LGBTQ plus communities. But as dance music has grown into the mainstream million dollar industry it is today, its originators get pushed aside from the history books and seldom get the credit they deserve. We need to cherish the origins of our scene and it's so important that we respect those who founded it. For me, as a mixed-race person, this topic is close to my heart. In the wake of last year's Black Lives Matter movements, I worked extensively on articles and content to showcase and raise up black talent in dance music. And this is still a huge part of my mission. In today's episode, we'll hear from two generations of black artists. Fabio, one of the founding fathers of Jungle and Drum and Bass, and one half of the iconic duo Fabio and Groove Rider and Nix, the rising DJ who created the Black Artist Database, which spotlights black electronic artists in a predominantly white scene. We'll cover everything from our experiences of racism, the impact of George Floyd's murder, representation at the Mobos, and so much more. So let's dive in. Welcome to Utopia Talks. Both of you, next Fabio, thank you for being here. Good to be here. Um, delighted, actually, to have you here. What generations, I mean, a legend and yeah. a new generation coming through, mm. celebrating and representing two generations of black greatness in mm-hmm. dance music. Mm-hmm. So I think we should start with how you got started and the story so far. We'll start with you, Fabio.
1: Mm-hmm. I was always into music, heavily. And my earliest... Memories are of music. And my earliest memory is of my dad having a party and me coming downstairs about 11 o'clock at night and just walking into this room and hearing the music playing and seeing everyone dancing and stuff and just being mesmerised by it. And then my dad going, go upstairs to your bed. Do you know what I'm saying? And that was my first ever memory. Then at school and stuff, I was always gravitated towards music. And, you know, growing up in Brixton, music was... Everywhere used to go to blues parties. I was in sound systems used to go to Brixton town hall and, and then I've had a kind of, I went from reggae and then I turned into a soul boy Mm -hmm. in the early eighties. So my first hero was Paul Anderson. Paul Anderson was the first black DJ that I saw and the way he done it, the way he synced his music up. He was my hero, man. And then little by little things just started to happen. And then my first ever gig was actually for Tim Westwood. Really? Yeah, at a place called Gossips in Dean Street. And Conin was the resident DJ. And he called me up one day and he was like, Fitz, look, you got some tunes. Come down and play. Conin can't make, he's got a cold. I was like, Wow. So back in the day you used to have just have like I carried my mum's washing basket because that's the only thing that had a handle and I put my records in there took the bus <laughs> down to the West End and um, got on the decks and the first tune I played was a tune called "Hold Tight by Change and I remember looking down on the decks and there was blood everywhere my nose started bleeding blood? I was so terrified <laughs> and after about half an hour I was like look you know what this is not for me because when I was growing up I wanted to be a musician I was really into being a singer. even though I weren't the greatest singer, but DJing wasn't a thing. Mm. DJing was a white guy doing a roadshow for radio one. And it was just like, you were just playing the music, no hero worship. It was just like, you were a jukebox. So it was nothing to aspire to at all. And then, you know, house music happened. And, um, I was a DJ on pirate radio. I was playing funk, really early house and hip hop. I was a big hip hop fan and I was uh really into the real early stuff, Grandmaster Flash, David DMX. I remember going to Heaven, which was called Global Village then, and seeing Grandmaster Flash do the message before it came out. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. So black music's always been my thing. And then house music happened and the weirdest thing about house music house music kind of came from high energy. In about 86, 87, there was a lot of high energy tunes, which was like really fast, electronic music. It was kind of like Stock Aitken and Waterman, but a little bit more underground. So it was a very gay scene. Mm -hmm. It was a lot more kind of camp and it was a lot more playful. And then I heard, Larry heard, Mistress of Love. And the first tune I ever bought was I went into my local record shop, Red Records in Brixton. And I went to get Eric B and Rakeem paid in full album. And I was just like, wow, because Eric B was just like, he's God. And I walked in and, 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 and the guy behind the counter, he went, look, I've got a tune that I know that you're really open-minded with music. It's called Mysteries of Love. And I said, what is it? He said, it's like a house tune. I thought, right, let me listen to this tune. And it's like, doom, 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 doom. And I was like, what? The hell <laughs> is this? And then I found out it was black people that was making this yeah. music. Chicago stuff. And then I got into Jack Smooth and DJ International and all the Chicago stuff. And the early Detroit stuff, Derek May, Kevin Saunderson, Blake Baxter, wine Atkins, those guys are just like to me. To this day, they're so underrated and they don't get the love they, they deserve. And Marshall Jefferson, mm. um, Larry Heard, all of these guys and I just connected straight away I just felt it and not a lot of my black friends were into it so it was a very it was a very white scene at the time and it, it's, it was seen as kind of white music wasn't seen as a lot of my mates in Brixton used to acid they used to call it devil music it's like, like devil is, music they called it devil music it's like what is this, this devil music <laughs> you're listening to I'm like what do you mean devil music it's like what's all them voices and that rah, 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 noise and man's got to be on drugs to be listening to that and I was like, no, 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 no. So they never really got into it. So we were, me and Groove Rider mm. felt slightly alienated a little bit. There wasn't a lot of black DJs around, not in England at the time. But we didn't even think of that, really. We we just kind of done a, a, our thing. And, and, you know, the rest is history. We just got on the whole rave circuit and we just blew up, man. Mm. And I think we blew up because we bought... Um, there was a lot of house DJs, but, but lyric music was was huge. You know, they bought over Johnny Walker, Paul Okonfola, and those guys bought over the music from Ibiza. But we kind of gave it a little black edge to it because we were really, really, really into instrumentals. And because we used to get the B sides and play the B sides, because we had a tribal connection with instrumentals. The instrumentals always had a lot of percussion, and we just felt it was kind of more African sounding. And our following, we gained the following because we played slightly different from those other guys. who we were playing a little bit more high energy, a little bit more Balearic, a little bit more poppy style. And we were kind of like really underground, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah.
2: Wow, it's so cool, like, hearing this from you right here. Uh, mm. Um, I'd, I'd love to just hear about those early days um, with Groove Rider yeah. at Rage, when, when Jungle was born. Can mm. you just... Because we, we and next, sadly, were not around. Now. Yeah. We weren't born yeah.
1: This was, uh... Was it late? 90, 90, 90 91.
2: Okay. I wasn't born This
1: was day. after the, this was after the <laughs> rave scene. Because what happened with the rave scene, the criminal justice bill came in and kind of destroyed rave. Mm. And we were all kind of like, what are we going to do? And mm. is it going to move into clubs? Is it going to be the same? And then we, there was a night called Babylon um, at Heavens, which then transformed into Rage. And Rage was a strictly house night. It was a purist house night. And Trevor Fung and Colin Favor, God bless his soul, they were the residents there. So we knew a girl, we knew a friend of a friend who hooked us up. And they were like, look, the star bar upstairs in Heavens, it's a tiny room. I mean, it's a little bit bigger than this room. They want you to audition to play in there. And we was like, all right, cool. That's That's, that's kind of sick. So... We came down there. We, we played two weeks. When it came to the third week, we literally had five, 600 people on the stairs wait, waiting to come to this room. Wow. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it was really purist dancers. And we were doing this kind of amalgamation of techno and house, and but really underground, really, really underground. And we were sifting through music. And we were really into that real underground vibe, not consciously. We just gravitated towards that. So we was playing a, a slightly more tribal style and a lot of the street kids really were feeling it. The really young kids, because Rage started to get, when I say old, I mean, back then, I'm talking about 27, 28, mm-hmm. but we was attracting 20, 21-year-olds who so was kind of feeding our vibe. So in the end, our room was just jammed every single week. So Kevin Millions, who, who ran the night, and he he was always kind of like looking for the next thing. And uh, he was starting to think, wow, these guys, there's something going on here. You've got to remember, we were young as well. We were only 21, 22. And then Trevor and Colin, the residents from downstairs, they had a gig in LA. So he said, look, guys, fill in for them. Come downstairs and play. And by the end of the night, he gave us the gig. It was just like, wow. He said, look, do you guys want this? On a regular basis. Because we had so much respect for those guys. We were kind of like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't really want to step on their toes. They're such legends. And then we just thought, look, we've just got to make the most of this. Mm. And that's how it happened, man. And then we just got the residency. And then what was interesting then, he gave us carte blanche to experiment. Mm -hmm. And literally do what we want. So we were literally just going in there and just doing mashups of techno and breakbeats and clanging all over the place. But we would just, he saw that we were doing something different and the crowd went with it. The crowd was kind of like, wow. Anytime they heard the breakbeat, I noticed if we put in a breakbeat, it had a different mm. dimension. It had, you know, cause breaks from hip hop days, mm-hmm. man, you know, that, you know, that sneer sound, which is a very black sound by the way. And, um, the kids loved it, man. And we just noticed that anything that had a little break in it, the kids would just dance in a different way. They'd even move in a different way. They'd move like on a two-step kind of vibe and not that kind of housey kind of thing. And so we were just like, in the end, we were just playing break beats in there. Masters at Work used to do these 12s. And on the B-side, they used to have a little two-minute break because those guys were really into hip-hop. Mm-hmm. So they would just put break samples and we used to speed the brakes up and mix it over house tunes. Sick. And so it just got this kind of like this frission going on. And we were kind of like, wow. But we didn't really know what it was doing. Because you've got to remember, we were clanging down the place as well. <laughs> <laughs> we were clanging hard in there. But it was working. And we saw it was working. And then we got We.I.E., Lenny De Ice, which the tune was everything that we'd been trying to do was encapsulated in this one tune. And that tune, for me, it just started everything. And then we started getting tunes. And then before we knew it, Jungle was a thing. And that was it, ma'am.
2: Wow. And the name Jungle, I think I read, wasn't there a guy who danced? Yeah, about? there's a
1: guy called Danny. And whenever he used to play the tunes, he'd go, Jungle, Jungle, Jungle. <laughs> and then he used to get all the crowd saying it. They used to chant it. And so in the end, when we used to play the tunes, because we were still playing house. And we were playing, like, early techno. We were playing r and and Frank the Wolf and stuff with Joey Beltram and Kevin Saunderson and that. It was just a real mad fusion. And then we used to have, like, a half-hour segment where we'd play Jungle. And it was like, wow. And I remember Kevin Saunderson coming down one day, and he was like, you know what? And if you listen to Kevin Saunderson... He then started to incorporate breakbeats and his stuff started going from linear techno to breaky techno. Mm. And Rage was the reason. He came down, he he's, he, he was he blew his mind. And he bought, I'll never forget the day he, he came down, he went, I've got two guys here from Detroit, really young guys. And it was Joey Beltram and MK. Wow. And Joey Beltram gave me Energy Flash on dub plate and, and and MK gave me some dub as well. And, and, and you know, we was kind of like, these are just youngsters, you know what I mean? And, and you know, and, and look at them now. And so, yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time. I don't think you could get away with that in a mainstream club now where you could just go, guys, just do what you want. Mm. You know, I think you'd have to start off in, in maybe a smaller space because there's this ridiculous thing that, oh, big room, it's got to sound like really kind of like hyper. And Mm. so I think, you know, it's been watered down. I think especially on the main stages now, it's kind of like, we want populist. We want what the kids like. So what about experimenting? What about teaching them? You know what I'm saying? Mm. And, and, you know, experiment and stuff now. Oh yeah. We're going to put you in room two. We're going to put you in room three. And I hate that Mm. because if we never got that chance, one maybe jungle wouldn't never have happened, and maybe Fabian Groove Rider would never have got to that stage. So the fact that we got on the main stage in a West End club doing our thing, you know, I've got to give kudos to Kevin for really taking that chance on mm-hmm. us. You know, two black guys as well, which yeah. was unheard of.
0: Yeah,
2: and we, it paid off.
1: It paid off. I remember someone saying, "You knew, you know, you two were the first black guys to play on the main stage." Wow. That's how deep it was. They, I was. I was like, what? I was like, yeah. They said two black guys have never, ever played downstairs in this club. So yeah, you know, we broke we broke a lot of ground as well. You know what I mean? It weren't just the music. We, we were quite happy that we broke a lot of ground as black DJs.
2: Yeah, and inspired a whole new generation. Coming absolutely, through, absolutely.
1: You know? Kenny Ken, Goldie. Mm. Goldie will tell you 100% he come down there and just got his mind blown by it. And so, you know, we did inspire a whole generation of black guys. I'm not saying there weren't black DJs because there was, mm. you know what I mean? There was even black female DJs, Smoking Joe, yeah. mm. Evil-O. Oh, Evil-O was, wow, she was amazing. And they were flying the flag. Mm. Smoking Joe's got so much respect for her, man. because mm. She's such a sick DJ, man. Yeah.
0: I love her production. Yes. Tribal Badman is one of my favourites. I haven't heard that. It's off her album, Psycho Bitch. I think that came out in like 92. It's the... See, um, I haven't heard that It came out in 92, and I play that song in every set. Seriously? Really? It's really? like nine minutes long, and it's just got layers and layers, layers and yeah. it just goes through like a journey, and she samples. It's like a... Badness
1: can't work. It's sick. It's <laughs> oh, really yeah. sick. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, so she's... Yeah.
1: It's funny because at the time, because... Acid House happened and Acid House was the first time black and white people danced because I'm coming from the era mm. of being a soul boy and going out and black men used to dance on the dance floor and white guys used to stand around looking at us kind of because we're going to nick their girls. Do you know what I mean? Because the girls like, Oh my God, these guys remain, they can dance. <laughs> and so there was no unity at all. Um, but Acid House broke down a lot of barriers, I've got to say. Because I was going out, I was seeing a man that I knew from Brixton in the rave with, you know, that like Fat Tony and, you know, the gay mafia used to come down. And there was no... this first time that I thought, oh, my God. One day I just looked out and I, saw, I thought, I white people are dancing. And I was like, oh, this just never used to happen before. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so much barriers were broken down. And you didn't really realise, that's why I think Smoking Joe, we'd done a a little thing before at Soho House, just before lockdown, and you know, she was saying that she didn't really feel like a black woman playing house. She just felt part of the crew. And and, and honestly, we really did feel like that. Mm. And I don't know if it was naivety or, or what it was, but there was the doors just opened up and Racism crept in when it got into clubs.
2: Sure, when it grew. when it grew Because
1: when it got into clubs, it turned into business. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: And as soon as shit turns into business and it turns into money making, mm. then you started to see a little bit of bits and pieces happen. I remember once I played in Holborn and uh, the promoter said to me, the morning of the gig, he went, oh, right, we're going to have to cancel. I was like, why? He was like, the council hit him up and said, they don't want my crowd in there. And I was like, mm. what, what is my crowd? Mm. They were like, yeah, well, they're a little bit street. And I was like, wow, mm. really? And that started to happen more and more. Mm. And uh, we'll talk about that later anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing your journey. It was, mm. it was mad to hear about that from you. We'll turn to you now, Next, Hi. Tell us everything. The journey so far what you're up to. I'm just still in awe yeah. from
0: Fabio's story. Because, like, <laughs> you know, we were saying, I mean, I was born in 94. So the anecdotes you're giving mm. is just mad, you know? And yeah, it's just always a reminder of the people that rooted and started and paved the way for us mm. to be able to be here, like Smoking Joe, you know? Yeah, for real. Um If it wasn't for people like her, would I be able to DJ now? Yeah. Would I? Probably not. Yeah. So thank you. Mm. Um, so, hi. So, how kind of how I started. Yeah, let go question. for it. So, my dad's a musician. He plays guitar and he plays kind of like Ramba Sucus vibe, which annoyingly gets categorized into this world genre. Right. So, you know, when you hear world, you know, it's going to be the alternative sound that they don't know what to categorize <laughs> Yeah, it. it's quite broad. But what yeah. it is, it really is rooted in kind of like African, Brazilian, that kind of. And that's where the rhythms and the percussion comes from. So my dad used to play in a band and my mum used to be his manager at the time. So when I I first went to Glastonbury when I was five years old with oh my, my parents, because my dad was playing on the West Holt stage, Sick. WOMAD, all those kind of festivals. So that's, that was kind of my entry into it. And I've got an older brother. So my dad used to, he taught my brother to play guitar and then records was a big thing. So... My dad used to collect a lot of Calypso, because back then Calypso was like a big thing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Calypso, ska, reggae, but then also this kind of world. But actually, specific artists that he used to really get inspiration from from countries like Congo and Brazil, and wow. these are countries that are a lot. If you listen to music that we're, that we're listening to now, it all roots from those places, especially like country like Brazil. Yeah. yeah. The percussions that they yeah, got. For real. Congo is a really interesting one where they have a very specific kind of sound a sukkus it's called sukkus and we lived in Switzerland for several years because there was a crew kind of a Congolese crew that my dad was really into and used to learn different guitar skills and he's like big into that so that was kind of the household I was brought up in and then so my brother then the next kind of generation 80s, 90s buying lots of records pirate radio big into jungle Mm -mm -mm -mm. early garage early house but very much kind of jungle Back to 95. My brother used to be there a lot. Back to 95. <laughs> Plastic people, all those kind of clubs used to come home at like 7am in the morning. But like, I'm like, where have you been? Just been out. So that was the household I was brought up in. And it was quite like an open and liberal household. And what's unique, I know we were saying like, and I know we're going to talk about it later, is black people themselves don't naturally associate these kind of genres with black people, Mm. but I was brought up in a household where it was encouraged and it was pushed. And like my brother was in these places all the time, pirate radio, listening to this sound. My dad would encourage him to go out and his, my dad's thing was always like, go out and learn and explore. You hear something that you haven't heard before. Go and discover who the artist is, go and find out where they are coming from. What's the influence behind that sound? So that's always been like our thing. So that was installing to me. I went to a conservatoire for 16 years which not many black people do go to. What I think was it's that a, like. So I went to Trinity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance from the age of 4 to 18. And I think something mad, like only 2% of people that complete the education conservatoire are black. Wow. Wow. But a conservatoire is a very middle class white yeah, institution. Sure. So even the fact that I was in that and so to to go through an institution where there's a formal way of learning music and dance that's respected and you're graded and you can advance yourself and you, there's discipline. So I did contemporary music and dance and it was, that was a lot of discipline. So I used to do about 40 hours a week on top of then oh my God. doing school and Jeez. stuff. Yeah. And um, I used to do like body conditioning classes, which is mad. What's so that? body conditioning is you focus on a different part of your body and literally condition it. So when you then go and perform, so we used to perform at like Sadler's Wells, Royal Albert Hall, South Bank you know, you're doing, like, seven, eight minutes performances. Kind of like when you watch the Olympics, people are training to yeah, go and right. perform. It's, just, it's the right. same thing. But what was good is, like, you know, I did my grades in piano. I did my contemporary dancing. There was a discipline side of it. And I think that's what's always been a kind of backbone of, like, remaining focused in an uh, industry that I love, music and dance. I don't know if you guys, like, know Stomp that was in the theatres. Yeah, like no, the yeah, yeah. With yeah, yeah, the yeah, bins. Yeah. yeah, of course. So I was in one of the Stomps that's in 2002. It. So I was a Thank young, yeah, I was, yeah, I was a young lady. Was in um, the opening ceremony of the Olympics in London in oh 2012. My gosh. Yeah. So, there's, so it has benefited me in right. more commercial ways. But the bottom line for me is, I knew I've always been into electronic. That's dance music. Has always been there. But seeing that side of it, you know, I was always the only black person. Actually, my best friend, she's a mixed race girl. That's how we. We met when we were four because we were the only non-white people in the whole institution. So, you know, there's people coming from like Russia, all European countries paying thousands of pounds to come and learn here. And we were the only non-white people there for definitely the first six, seven years. So that's kind of where it started for me. Mm. And I don't want to say being on both sides because it's one industry, but Mm. you kind of understand and learn, Okay, this is how this works. So I've got to do this and be in this circle. And you know what I mean? Mm. What networks and your social capital and things like that. And then moving on, went to university in Bath, got into radio, which is how I actually met you. So I got to university and was like, okay, I need to, I did a sociology degree. So nothing necessarily musical related, but very much into, you know, what's going on in the world. You know, why they're poor people. Why are, why does racism happen? All that kind of stuff. Mm. But I wanted to still have that kind of musical side. So first year, joined URB, University Radio of Bath, and then I was the station manager there for four years. Um, Four years? Four years. Oh, my God. That's how I met you, because we did the SRA, the Student Radio Awards, which is every year in the O2, which is powered by Global and BBC.
2: It's like the the Oscars of student radio. It's the Oscars (laughs) of
0: student radio. So, and one year I won, it was Best Specialist. So my show was on Underground Electronic, which as you can imagine, in Bath, mm. was the only one. So I won Best Specialist So for that. Um, and during my time in Bath, clubs like Moles, I don't know if you remember Moles, like old, old club, like wow. Carl Cox played there like in the early 90s. Wow. The guy who runs it, it was 2015, and he was like, Nick, I'm looking for someone to warm up for b Traits, who at the time was BBC Radio 1. Yeah. Do you want to... I've got a small fee, come down. I was like, okay, yeah, thanks, I'll come down. (laughs) And I warmed up for her, and he was like, Nick, that was sick. Do you want to come down again? So what I ended up doing there was every time he had someone that was from the electronic world, we organised that, I'd do an interview with them, use it for the radio, and then warm up. So, like, eats everything, be traits, shadow child, you know. But Miles is like, it's got a sick, really good basement, and it's a really underrated club in Bath. I mean, Bath probably doesn't have... Isn't known for its dance or underground club scene more now because you've got some venues and promoters who are there, but not so much then. But there was an intimate small crowd of us that would go every time there was something happening because obviously Bristol's just next door. So yeah. naturally you mm-hmm. go to like Motion and all the big of clubs course. in Bristol, but like there was a close knit vibe of us in Bath that were into proper underground, not like anything, but really underground. And we're just like there for the music, like front left,
2: you know, having it.
0: So there's like a nice, and we're actually still really good friends now, a nice little group of us there. So then obviously moved back to London in 2018 and was in with the right crowd of people, kind of, moles kind of put me in contact with people and then started getting small bookings here and there. And people were just like feeling it, like we're just feeling it, to be honest, and yeah, so like now, I mean, we're out of lockdown. I'm quite booked and busy up until the end of the year. I'm actually playing with Colin at the Cause on August Bank Holiday.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Colin Marcia. Yes, and yeah, I are yeah. playing in the same oh, room. Wow. And that's oh, gonna, wow. that's so
0: come down. That's going to be like yeah. the kind of house room. But you know, it's three black people. Yes, and it's just it's just yes. the three of us because the other rooms they've got. I know they've got like a, the DMB and Jungle room and a techno room. But this is going to be quite an intimate like yeah. let's get underground and it's just the three of us. So quite long sets. So that
1: should be good. Funny enough. I, I did see him post that. He posted yeah. that the other day. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that should
0: be good. And yeah, it's obviously we've had a year out, which has kind of cut my professional career in terms of DJing mm. a bit. Cause I would only really say I really started to probably DJ out confidently from 2018 and, mm in terms of you find your crowd, you find yeah. your sound, you know what you're comfortable doing. Mm. I incorporate playing vinyl now, which I don't think many people my age do. Mm. And it's something that I'm really proud of because yeah. I've got quite a vast record collection through my brother and my father. So like when I'm t- saying about like Smoking Joe, like track from yeah. 92, that was being passed down to me. Right. And I probably wouldn't have known about that. But luckily I was brought up in that household. Of course, of course. Um, and yeah. And so DJing is kind of one element of, Radio is another element. So I'm a resident in Y now at the moment. And as you know, like a monthly, I'm inviting different women of color who are doing their thing. So I had Helena Starr, I had Amalia. I've got some really exciting guests coming up. And what I like to do with those two hours is music and talk. Because I like to mm. get into that person, what you've been doing. Influences like Amalia on her last our last show spoke about. She invited her mum onto her radio show, and her mum just played like soul and funk for two hours. And I said Gorgeous. that's sick. Yeah, and I and I just love to hear things like that. It just yeah. makes me happy. Yeah. And then obviously now with like the black artist database. Yeah, tell us which, for people who don't know. Yeah. Tell us everything. So last year June, which what it's only 12, 13 months ago. Everything that was going on, you know, we're in a pandemic. Black people are getting murdered in the US. And then there's this, I mean, there's always been this realisation that black people have been undervalued, underpaid in dance music. But what June did was just hone in on this and that change needs to actually happen. And So Bandcamp at the time, I don't know if you guys use Bandcamp, they were doing Bandcamp Friday. So every Friday they were waiving all their fees. And I was very... I was using that a lot. I was using that a lot. Yeah, really yeah. enjoyed just, like, discovering new music, buying it, and then just knowing that the money's going straight back into people's yeah, pockets. of course. Because we were, you know, pandemic. People have lost their job being made redundant and all yeah. sorts and can't DJ. So made a Google spreadsheet, and it was called, like, Black Bandcamp, but I think it was called BLM Bandcamp. And so we had a row, like, artist, Bandcamp link, and there was, like, 30 artists we put on the sheet. So I had, like, Josie Rebel, Carista, Steve Funkin, even, all these people... And then I was like, "Right, guys, let's put it on our Instagrams and socials because you know now socials is yeah. the the power of the internet is crazy. Insane. The power, Insane. like I think, if I did this, you know, even fifteen years ago,
1: yeah,
0: it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't no have worked. Just. But just the power of that, and I think also being already being quite um having quite a prevalent role in the industry and community, so people kind of respect what I've been doing. So shared it." Woke up the next morning, there were 600 artists on the sheet, just purely through <laughs> wow. people I'd got on the sheet yeah. and just the momentum and the energy that was there for people to be like, let me add someone." So I was like, wow, okay. And, you know, went onto the sheet, at like two, two, three PM BS GMT. And, you know, on Google spreadsheet, if someone's on it, it. Has an animal name yeah. so like anonymous badger anonymous. There were three hundred and sixty five anonymous animals, <laughs> and I thought, hold on, I was like, right, we need to sort something out because if this breaks, <laughs> so um, we locked the sheet and made it into a form so people had to, you know, put in the person's information. So Fabio, the, uh, John so DMB uh, Jungle, mm. the link, um, and any other links, and. It grew. So there's a maybe about a thousand, and this is like within a couple of weeks. Mm. Then Bandcamp in July did another Bandcamp day where they were waiving all the fees and donating all the money to the NAACP. And I think to George Floyd, there was a George Floyd charity that money was getting donated to. So for that one, I got some developers on board and I said, look, we need to make this into a website so people can really use it. So the developers did a quick job, put it onto a website and then after that one, there was like another thousand artists added. Mm, So I thought, this is a thing. People are really engaging with this because, you know, a lot of these initiatives, they happen and unfortunately they kind of stop or Mm. people don't seriously take the time to engage. I think what happened last year really has had an impact. Mm. And even though it's sad that you know, someone's died and it had to take someone being murdered and that being viral. And I think being in a pandemic, again, not a situation that any of us want to be in, but it made people stop and think because you're not on the go. You're actually at home, able to really reflect and engage. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. And so I think, unfortunately, those two combined created this reset and change of mindset and you know what am I doing to really support what am I doing to contribute towards this yeah so it just grew and grew and grew and then so now it's a full website with like four and a half thousand black owned labels artists producers and bands That's amazing. um Sick. you That's amazing. we linked to bandcamp as of yesterday we linked to Juno records and Juno download that. Congrats. J- download yeah thank you so good. And yeah, you can, so you go on the website, listen to people's music and you can make purchases. And yeah, like, honestly, I'm just, I can't even, if someone said this time last year, oh yeah, you know, this is going to be a you thing. Like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, nah. No way. Yeah. And you know what's exciting? Like, we've got some really exciting partnerships coming up. We've got our Voices series mm-hmm. that we do. We had a guy called Gerald. We had DJ Paulette. We've got some really exciting people coming up. We had Lakuti. We've got events that are going to be starting in Q3, Q4. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot. There's a lot going on, and it's just you know we've got a full team of black folk who are doing who are well known, you know, have been like spearheading in the electronic industry, agents because, wordsmith writers. So it's just I'm very grateful to be able to like lead yeah. a team of like black, black people, and you know it's a team of black people doing something for black people, mm-hmm. but the industry is engaging with it and. It's been taken very seriously. And yeah, it's just exciting. Yeah. That's amazing. It, it mm. is. That's amazing. And
2: I, I just want to say as well, like, because when we're talking about dance music history and obviously where it came from, Chicago House, Detroit Techno, you know, the founders of Jungle, mm. you know, black people and people of colour. And for me, like, I, so I'm mixed race. I'm half Ghanaian, half British. And I grew up in the Channel Islands, which is a very, like, white area. Mm. Um, I literally, yeah, I didn't really know any other people apart from like my mum my brother mm. and I actually went to a boarding school as well in Dorset so again like mm. was not around many people who looked like me at all so it wasn't till I went to uni in Leeds um, where I was you know actually able to have conversations mm. with people who weren't white and and learn and actually had to kind of dismantle my own thoughts of the world and mm. the way I was Taught history, and you know, if we're going to talk about dance music, the you know, I, I thought you know, I'd see Fatboy Slim or yeah. I see Calvin Harris or David Guetta or Chemical Brothers. Mm. I didn't know that where electronic music came from till, yeah, probably till I was like 20, 20, 21. And it's just the maddest thing because I'm like, why didn't I know? Like, why is mm, it not obvious? Of where course. the history came from, yeah. and you know, there's a lot of people out there who still don't, and black and white, yeah. and um, which is the maddest thing, because yeah, as we mm. said, when it grows, when something becomes mainstream, like it does, essentially get marketed to the masses, and you know, in, in this country, it is mm. there's white people, yeah. Mm. yeah, and if you look out and
0: Google a DJ, you're going to get a male white guy, yeah, probably, of yeah. yeah. In June, when DJ Mag did their Dance music is black, so we were part of that edition alongside DJ Paulette and and a few other people, and that was something that we did in our double page spread. Part of the interview was about how do you like reeducate a whole generation who have just been have internalised what we're saying internalised, and that's not their fault. It's mm. just what is there and accessible for for you, and so it takes people like us, bad, to put stuff out there mm. so that you know, no, this is how it is. And, you know, one of the things that I think is tricky is that once initiatives such as ours are created, sometimes there's this idea of, oh, well, they're doing it so we can leave it to them. But no, it takes an entire industry. Of course. And fortunately, I do feel like there are, have been changes that have been made. I mean, like some not, but some like the lineups I've been getting booked on, and I think, you know, specifically when bookers are reaching out to me, they know what I'm about. So yeah. I don't have to do any of yeah, that. Of I, we cut all of that out. Yeah. You know, we go straight <laughs> to stage five. Yeah. So when they're sending me the lineup, it's already there. Yeah. There's a couple that I've sent me, and I've I said, I'm okay because, you know, we've gone for a year and totally understand like a lot of um, bookers have to honour ones that didn't happen the past two years. And it will take time, mm. you know, there's some, there's still festivals that have been cancelled this year that haven't happened since 2020. Yeah. And so even next yeah. year, they're still going to have yeah. the yeah. unfortunate kind of standard lineup. So it yeah. will take them another two, three, four years. Mm. But, you know, ones that are actually showing and reach out and say like, this is the effort we're putting in. You know, like there's a festival that I'm playing in September and part of their thing is that 50% black female non-binary artists and it's just like it's so easy yeah there's a whole database of us (laughs) like you You know what you can actually use it so there's no excuse to be like oh of course you know i don't know and what you were saying earlier about you know if you didn't get given the opportunity you wouldn't be here now Mm. it's about giving younger black djs opportunities that Mm. perhaps they wouldn't be given if we were still doing the kind of same same lineups
1: yeah. I think things have changed. In you know, I, I think every every event that happens, everything that happens, has you get knock on effects. It's funny because I was watching Uprising the other day, Steve McQueen's story of the New Cross fire, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. just mind blowing. And it's it was when I was growing up, you know, thirteen black kids got burned mm. in a fire. To this day, no one knows what happened, and it was just interesting because. I remember at the time when it happened, I was going out to blues parties and I I was afraid. And it was it was like, my God, that could have been me. That could have been any of us. Do you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the great thing about Uprising, and I didn't really realise, was everything happened in 1981 because five months after that, the Brixton riots happened, which, you know, being born in Brixton, mm. I always remember walking out the road Walking up my main road to buy, it, I, I was really into Marvel Comics.
0: Oh, so, I love Marvel. Oh, Marvel, yeah.
1: Madly into Marvel <sighs> yeah. Comics. But so we're talking about before Marvel Comics was a thing. Sure. You know, like it was still kind of like I used to go into the shop and he used to get the imports from America.
2: What's your favourite Marvel? Silver Surfer. Oh really? Yeah. I'm always gonna be a Storm, Storm from X-Men.
1: Storms from I mean. X-Men. No. She's so dope. She X-Men, X-Men, X-Men are amazing. Because <laughs> X-Men, were they were talking about outcasts, weren't yes, they? Yes, yes. They were outcasts and it was mm. just kind of like, it It was a lot deeper. But mm. I remember when I got my first X-Men comic, which, funny enough, I went to Jamaica okay. when I was about six. I remember walking to the shop and I saw the first ever episode of X-Men and I bought it. And I remember looking through and I thought, there's a black woman in here. There's a disabled guy who runs the whole thing. Mm. It was so ahead of its time because Mm. it was about these people that were outcasts, but had these amazing powers. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And Storm, I remembered even seeing in the artwork, she just looked so wild and amazing. Powerful. and, And powerful. And black women weren't really portrayed in that way. And she was, she was actually had the most destructive powers out of everybody. Do you know what mm. I mean? She was like, wow, storm, you <laughs> know, Storm. you know what I'm saying? So yeah, you know, growing up, the Brixton riots happened, but then after the Brixton riots, police then couldn't just take you in, you know, a, uh, Lord Scarman, he he started. Uh, he done the the whole the, uh, report. The, the report. The report, yeah. He done the report, and and basically, normally reports are whitewashed. But he actually reached out, went to Brixton, spoke to everybody, mm. and sat down and thought, this is wrong. Like, what what the hell is going on? Like, your mainstream white person does not know all of this is happening. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? And he changed a lot of things, and he changed things like when you get arrested, it's got to be recorded. It's got to be tape recorded because I'll tell you a story. When I was growing up, the sus law came out. And I remember walking down the road in Brixton and um three plain clothes and we just knew straight away we looked and thought, Oh, damn, it's plain clothes. And they just they went, Right, guys, you've been doing you've been mugging. Um, we know you got a mugging operation. It was kind of like, sorry, like no, it was sixteen, seventeen. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, they brought us to the police station, and right in front of our eyes, made up what cases they were going to plant on us. And they sat there and went, "You call me the black sheep of the family," which they thought was hilarious because um, I was the darkest guy there. And they said, "Right, you, you were the ringleader." And they made it all up right in front of our faces and filed the report. We went to court. The judge threw it out after 10 minutes of hearing, of hearing. He sat down and said, Well, you've completely contradicted what you said, and we're throwing it out. But the, the rights, all of these things happened. But it may change, and I think you know a, a lot of when the George Floyd thing happened, when the looting was going on, a lot of people were going, "Oh yeah, well, do you have to loot? Do you have to do all of this? Do you have to destroy your own community?" And I say, look, it's rage. It, it's, it's not these guys aren't just going out and going, "Oh right, I need a new pair of trainers," mm. and busting into a shop and getting trainers. It's that rage. It's that pent up feeling that you've had for years and years and that's what happened in Brixton. And even though the next day I went there and, and I saw Brixton look like a war zone. And I sat down, I felt a little bit sad. But then I thought this had to happen. Mm. And change happened. And George Floyd, the strange thing as you said, it happened when we was in knockdown. When we was all we weren't running around and you really, really felt that thing mm-hmm. and, and and you know we had time to process it until like this can't happen anymore. Mm. And and so much good has happened out of that. And um I think it's it's changed everything forever.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. A reset. It really? I is. always kind of use that word reset or a pause and reflection. However sad, you know, it is awful that this had to happen. But again, you know, it's mad because it was like a 17-year-old black girl who who filmed the whole thing. And like her name never gets brought up, and it's like, well, if this girl didn't film yeah. this, yeah. none right. of this yeah. would have happened. happened. Yeah, true, none of it.
1: True, 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 and true.
0: I always think, like, how traumatized must she be mm-hmm. to witness this? But yeah, it's yeah, it has. It hopefully makes change, and I think specifically, I mean, we live in the UK, so we live in quite a coy country where mm. racism isn't overt. No, it's, it's very not. covert. No, yeah, it is because you wouldn't. That wouldn't happen in England. No but what happened what you're saying about you got stopped and apparently you were they said you were burgling people and you that would happen yeah, yeah. and so we have a kind of different framework the way we kind of have to handle it because we can't you know and that's why when we do when protests do happen it's like oh my god but it's like no when you repress people for so long mm. they're going to come back of course mm-hmm. look at all, like any revolution in history that's happened in of cuba course. You know, when people were literally on rations and had no food, they came back and revolted.: Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. And I think our kind of revolution in dance music, it feels like there's something happening, and momentum There's a momentum does. that's still there.: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot,
2: maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: There is, you know, a lot of um, old school, outdated methods that have been used in dance music over the years that have kind of been now really seem outdated. Mm. Like in 18 months I see way more females mm, yeah. on lineups. Yeah. Even me consciously, I will sit down now and go, I need a female on, the, on my lineup. And it's not, you know, I'm not doing it, you know, to be part of the crowd. It's because my perceptions have changed. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And you're aware of it. And I'm aware of it. Yeah. And you that's know? good. And it's a good thing. Yeah. But I, I have definitely seen, I think people are standing up stuff now. And I think it all happened, it all started with me too. Yeah. I think that was an integral moment. Yeah. Because I look, I know stuff growing up in the 80s and the 90s, stuff that went on, and people just turned a blind eye to it. Even racism. You know, sometimes, you know, promoters would say racist things to you, and you'd just be like, Oh, yeah, well, I'll just take it. It's Mm. just it's just the way it is.
2: Yeah, I guess you didn't have any other. You didn't know what else to do. You didn't know what else
1: to do. You just sat down and thought, oh, you know, I grew up, this happening to me. It's just the way white people check black people.
0: Yeah. Now, now we've got the tools and mechanisms to equip people with the knowledge of how to actually react to something. There's, people you can actually go to for support yeah. and you know that you've got that yeah. support you and that backing you call in.
2: people out publicly yeah, and yeah, yeah. have support yeah. literally with your communities on Instagram
0: who yeah, will yeah. support you and yeah. back you uh, like a really good example of this and it's just so interesting because we were talking about like two generations a guy called Gerald we had him on our last voices mm, mm. and he's obviously currently got a legal thing out uh, because of oh, not of receiving course, yeah. and so that. we've used our platform to push that and the sign-ups have increased mm. because he, he d- he needs to take them to court. Yeah. And you think like how mad it is because again, that's only happened because of the era yeah. we're in right now. Mm. That wouldn't have been able to happen even last no year. Way. They feel because people wouldn't take that take it into consideration. The black man who essentially pioneered acid house yeah. in Manchester, and unfortunately, then there wasn't that business awareness of you know signing a contract and that stuff. You just take mm. that's a lot of money at the time when you're 19. Yeah. Now yeah. we're in a time where, as a black man, he has the support of the, the whole industry mm. to take that to court. We're going to support you. You know, there's a crowd fund where, where people are actively give, giving him funds to take it to court. Yeah. And hopefully mm. he will be given the reparations that he deserves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because just think. The exploitation of that, you know how much that song gets used. It's, it's, a, it's heartbreaking. Like it's so heartbreaking. I, you know, you know. When I just remember the conversation, and it just broke my heart. And, but you know, we're in a time where actually, thankfully, we're in an era. The past eighteen months has allowed for things like that to happen. Yeah, of yeah. course. Where he can go, take them to court. You, you've got the support from the community, and potentially be given back the money that you own. But like, would this have happened if yeah. everything? Didn't also, happen?
1: I think you know what has happened as well. I think. I think before, maybe people would have saw that and people would have been like, oh, I don't want to get involved. Yes. You know, I don't yeah, want to get, I'll get turn involved. turn a blind eye. I'll, I'll turn a blind eye. But now things are so powerful. People are kind of like, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. That's a liberty. Yeah. Voodoo Ray, when I first heard that tune and someone told me it came from England, that was the first <laughs> thing I was like, what? Yeah. That oh, tune doesn't such- come from Detroit or Chicago. Then when it was a black guy, yeah. I was like, "No, yeah. you mad?" I thought, "There's no ways he black." And then he came with Twenty Eight Gun Bad Boy Jungle tunes yeah. and 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 you know some of the earliest jungle tunes. Yeah, and and a guy called Jay. He's, he's such a humble guy, mm. and he doesn't shout about anything. You know what I'm saying, but he like, should he, be huge. Oh, well, he, he should. should be. But he that's should just be a prime huge.
0: example of like people from a certain generation that unfortunately. They just didn't people. Did, people, and you know another thing that comes up a lot is people didn't know or don't know how to market black people. There's like a weird thing of like, yeah. Oh, you're sorry, you're not gonna mm-hmm. DJ Paulette. I'm sorry, I'm just using all the people no, we've done it. voices go with. When we when we spoke with her, because obviously she was high and obviously she doesn't get mentioned in any in anything yeah, high yeah, yeah, now. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, and then that's yeah. mad because she was a resident there yeah. for so many years. Here was in Ibiza, was in Paris, and she doesn't get mentioned. And one of the things that she says is, when I think about it now, it's like, because she's a black female and gay, mm. they didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. How do you push? How do you? And it's so sad because it's like, you know, she that's like 20 years of her career that's kind of just not been at the level it should have been. But
2: I just don't believe that, like, not marketable. Like, I know. <laughs> The thing is, I, I was reading an interview with, I think it was Marshall Jefferson on Mag, and he mm. was talking about this point about marketing and like when something is to the masses, to a white crowd, he was like, well, how do you market a black person to that white crowd? But I just feel like in this modern day and age mm. with social media, audiences are all over the world. Like I feel like now the excuse of not being able to market someone because of how they look or they're gay or they're a woman or they're black isn't good enough. No. At all.
1: It's not good enough, but I still think it happens.
2: Because they want to make the most happens, money. Happens because don't
1: they? even in grime, like now, you know, H and Hardy are easier to market. Mm. In 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 a, in a, in a sort of in a funny sort of way. But I even remember even going back ten fifteen years ago. No a point in case jungle <laughs> in the nineties. All the record companies just like oh my god. Uh, we used to do a night called Speed. With LTJ Bookham at the Mars Bar in West End. And we literally, I used to stand up DJing and I used to see Man with Ponytail. And I used to think, you look a record company people, you're just scouting <laughs> for artists. You know what I'm saying? Because you could see them, their ponytail, so their greasy hair, and they were just <laughs> looking around for kind of artists <laughs> to kind of like, yeah. you know, manipulate. So what happened with Jungle, and it happened with Garage, unfortunately, what they did. They took all the artists, Goldie, Groove, loads of artists. They all signed them up, ridiculous deals, gave Mm. them loads of money. Mm. And they didn't, they did not have a clue how to market them. So what they did, they turned around and went, look, is there any way, you know, you could produce um, a Kylie track or something like that? So then they thought, right, what we're going to do, we're going to water it down we're going to take that real jungle essence out of it and we're going to make it marketable because we're going to put Kylie Minogue on it. And it just didn't work. And it could have destroyed jungle. It Yay. could have destroyed jungle. But what happened was we were also The producers were also like, all right, we had a setback. We made a bit of money. I bought a new studio. We're just going to carry on making music. And it happened to Garage. Now, when Garage first came out, Garage blew up. It was this big thing. And then... Mystique got signed, everyone got signed, but then after a while, they wanted them to make R and B because mm. they thought all oh, garage has got a really bad reputation now, you know, all the clubs, all the councils, and everything, mm. you know. And then they sat down and I thought, right, we want you to make. Mystique went from making Garage to Scandalous. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's true, though. I do love Scandalous. One Scandalous is a bad <laughs> yeah. tune. It's that a bad tune. Yeah. But, that, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Craig David yeah. Yeah. from Rewind to making an R&B album, because they yeah. thought, well, we can't really market Garage. And so yeah. it's, it's happened mm. throughout history. Going back to Chuck Berry, Mm, do you know yeah. what I'm saying Chuck Berry the man who invented rock, rock and roll, roll. Mm. and then they thought oh Elvis this good looking white guy with slick back hair mm. Chuck Berry died three years ago no one gave a shit mm.
2: this is the thing like this is mm. what I'm saying about not like seeing the history is yeah. like because my dad used to well, my dad my dad's white he used to listen to Chuck Berry and all this stuff so I just kind of saw people yeah. of color and a whole mixture of people making like rock and roll but yeah, when you Google it, you'll just see, like, Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: no, absolutely. It's mad. Yeah. Especially
2: back then, like, yeah. what what that would have been like. You know, yeah. Fats
1: Domino, Chuck yeah. Berry, all of those guys made the template. Yeah. yeah. And they just took it and ran with it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, it's happened, it's, it's and it's strange that it kind of still happens now. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's still going on. There's still that they don't know how to market black people. Mm. I think Grimes changed that a bit. Yeah. Mm. But then are to... they just playing on, oh, yeah, we want you to be, you know, like, you know, ghetto. Do you know what I'm saying? I
0: think Grimes is an interesting genre. I just finished reading a book called Inner City London by Phil Wilcock. It's it's, it's really good. But Grimes is interesting. And it, but it's also quite sad because if Grime had built the foundations and again it just comes back to like back then people the business acumen just wasn't there yeah of course it just wasn't there if they had kind of built the foundations when people like Stormzy get to that level they wouldn't need to necessarily sign Mm. these big contracts because there should technically be kind of foundation there but look at someone like Dizzy Rascal I always think that's such an interesting story Boy in the Corner that Mm. album 2003 Mm. what an album Yeah, and you know that was just raw and authentic but listen to what he makes now; mm, mm, it's quite commercial, yeah. mm, mm, mm. and you know. That, but when you read this book, it's not. It's sad because it's not their fault. It's like you want to carry on doing what you're doing. You need to put. You need to make money, and so you need to carry on of somehow. Course. And yeah. you do, you do. Um, but unfortunately, like, still really rate These Ask when I've got time for him, and he's got such an interesting story. But he does produce commercial music yeah. now. Yeah. He doesn't produce that grime, and you know. Grime, Grime's such a, I think it's, I, I'm just, I, I'm like, Grime's my, that's my go-to like at home mm-hmm. genre because like just, I've got a brother who's 39. So I think that's his generation. And th- mm. these are boys that were living in council estates in East London. I live in East London now. Doesn't look like how it looked then. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. True, um, <laughs> true, true, true. And true. you know, like
0: rinse FM on top of a roof, yeah. like they're risking their lives. And the interesting thing about Grime is like a lot of them, because like Skepta, for example, he started as a DJ, but moved into the MCing because DJing was too expensive. They couldn't afford it. Mm. MCing, just need a pen and a paper mm. and your brain. Yeah. And these are really intelligent, yeah. working class black youths yeah. that I've just got so much to give. But yeah, I think with grime, you get to a level and then you get the Stormsies and Dizzies. Someone like Chipmunk, I think is quite unique because he kind of, he still produces real yeah. grime and he's big, he's not sold out if you, if you will, that's the term people say, but like, unfortunately you do hit a ceiling. There's a lot of grime artists that have said like, nah, I didn't want to go down that route. And they're like working, you know, nine to five Monday to Friday jobs now. And they think, you know, I could have gone down that route, but I didn't want to, but, yeah, a lot of the labels at the time, it's about murdering. It's this yeah. gonna cause fights? A lot of the clubs were giving out those because you have to give a certain amount of time before they get rid of your license. The night before an event, sorry, we're taking we're revoking your license yeah. because yeah, yeah, I mean, someone's gonna get stabbed had, form or
2: six nine six for the, yes. the risk mm, assessment mm, yeah, yeah, specifically yeah. for
0: events with MCs and yep, DJs. Yep, that absolutely. was an interesting one because if you look at I was try and look at things like when a law gets implemented, what was happening socio economically um, politically. And also, surveillance was something that was increasing in London at the time. Mm. And new Labour had just come in. And there was this like rhetoric around, like in the early 2000s, with like hyper surveillance. Mm. So we had lots of CCTV cameras put in London, mm. this kind of hyper surveillance of black mm. events. Yeah, And how to continue to control groups, control people. Mm. And if you look at what was happening then, that's when the government started to slowly were starting to slowly sell off properties and buildings mm. and, you know, things like that. But like you have to look at what was happening in a wider kind of context, context in yeah. the UK. And that's when New Labour started implementing all these laws to start pushing people out and mm. continue to marginalize people. Mm. And that was just part of it. It's yeah. part of a bigger narrative. It's part of a bigger of plan. Of course. <laughs> Sinister. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm. And it's funny what you said about Chip, because that's why Chip always has a dig yeah. at Dave and Storby. Because he's kind of like, you lot are right. sellouts. And I had that. And I got, you know, my record company dropped me and I didn't give a shit. Because I'm just, I, I went back on my grind. Mm. And you lot are where I was 10 years ago. And he just looks at them. So he just talks talks at them. And it's <laughs> I find it quite funny because I love Chip. I just he's think, so successful. And he's so raw. And yeah. he's, so, yeah. he's so good. Do you know what I'm saying? and he's just never going to play that game.
2: Yeah, I rate that. Um I want to I'm not we were talking about like grime and other genres as well because we were talking about like the term dance music, mm. right? Now, dance music is like house, techno, DMB, jungle as well, but mm. I feel like grime, dancehall, afrobeat's like is 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 dance music too. Like it's all Yeah. dance music. But I feel like I don't know it's interesting that grime's kind of not necessarily Aligned with house and techno mm. and I don't know. I've just kind of I was I just I was reading like in preparation for this I of came across that point. I just thought it was really interesting how it's mm. kind of separated like that and what you guys thought. Well,
1: I tell you what, with jungle, mm. what happened? Jungle was a very black scene. Um when we started the jungle thing, um it was all reggae samples and soul and funk samples. And that, was, it was very black. Mm. You know, it had the warmth, very rich and warm. And, you know, it, it, it had that feeling that black people love. Mm. You know, black people love warmth. They love bass line. And it was it was literally just the sneers and the beelines. Not very technical. You know, it was all out of key, some of it. No one gave a shit. It was like black <laughs> punk. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It was just like these kids that were just, Pressing the samplers and just coming up with these wonderful sounds, and they didn't, in in a way, the, the kind of way we did. We kind of started with jungle. It was a mishmash, mm. and it wasn't technically great, and it wasn't smooth and polished. And um, when we used to go out, it used to be eighty percent black crowd. And then what happened was there started to be quite a lot of trouble in the clubs. Um, and it, it for me, actually got a little bit scary because there's a man that I knew from around my way and I used to be like, what other man are doing in jungle dance? Because those mans are off key. And so it started to get a little bit, it started to get really aggy. And there was an incident that happened in Birmingham and we actually boycotted going down there because it's just gangs were, you know, they were all kind of starting like their, their, their kind of tribal wars in the clubs. Wow. And then around ninety seven, ninety eight, when it was getting a little bit kind of like people were like, oh, I don't really want to go. I'm not sure if I want to go to any jungle clubs. Garbage happened. Garbage came along with the same ethos that Jungle had. Very warm. On top of that, it was vocals. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? It was vocals. So one day we just noticed that the jungle crowds was getting like. In, before it was rammed, now it was half empty. We was like, what the hell's going on? And everyone was talking about garage. So we went to Twice as Nice <laughs> and we walked in there we saw all the jungle mans <laughs> in there. I was like, bruv, what is going on? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? This music's sweet. You know, it's got the vocals, it's got the like warm, early jungle kind of vibes. And we was like, oh, man, I can't believe it. Around that time, Jungle turned drum, into drum and bass. So mm. it turned very technical. Very, very technical. And you'd have to be a real DB head to love it. And we just noticed that the richness and the warmth was overtaken by technique. And the richness and the warmth, what black people loved, they found in Garage. Mm. And the white kids because the music then dropped from being sub bass to mid bass it was very mid range oriented if you listen to drum and bass in 2000 1999 there was no subs it weren't that that, that meat mm. it was all kind of yeah. like very techy but everything was pitched quite high and that people weren't in it they weren't in it and you know i i, I had a couple of jungle friends that i used to bring down and like nah bro I can't. I'm not feeling this music at all. And then DMB just kind of went that way. Garage went that way, and there was just this, this divide, and and it, and it and it never really come back until the last two three years. You got guys like Tim Reaper and, mm. and and you know Rupture and those yeah. and those. It's really bringing that essence back to jungle, but it's taken a long, long time for it to happen.
2: So the the change, like what, how did, why did it sort of change from jungle to drum and bass? What was that <laughs> process, Garage?
1: Because all the black producers started making Garage. Right. A lot of the producers, the jungle producers, the black jungle producers, they either started making hip hop or they started making Garage. The whole reggae sample thing as well had kind of run its course. And we were kind of like, right, it's got to progress a little bit now. You know, it's it's gone from that, you know, by numbers style to having to be a little bit more professional. And and when it became a little bit more professional, a little bit more technical, it took the blackness out of it a little bit. Ain't going to lie. And then I remember being at twice as nice me, Brian G and groove rider. And we walked out and Brian G was like, we've got to do something about this. And that's why I started liquid, liquid mm. drum and bass, which was, my take on soul, soulful vocals. I wanted to create what Garage was doing. Do you know what I'm saying? I wanted to bring that, that flavour back, which had sorely been lost. And it took a long time because people, liquid kind of, then it took about three, four years for people to get into it. At first they were like, oh, no, we prefer it a lot more hard and we don't like it. It's too kind of like, kind of sounds like lift, mu- elevator music. <laughs> I was like, piss off. You not are taking a piss now, you know. Seriously. Because I'm trying to bring a bit of soul back into this thing and you're not talking about elevator music. And so, and then drugs as well. So then the kids started taking harder drugs. Mm and they wanted it faster, harder, bigger sounding and the element of the underground element just kind of got lost and it just just kind of disappeared jungle died completely there weren't no jungle anymore it turned into drum and bass mm. and and it so, so what time frame are we talking here we're talking, here, talking about garbage blew up about 98 99 mm-hmm. you know i know there was um, a, gas club and stuff like that in 96 and the roots were kind of like 96 but then it really exploded um, with the early stuff and then so solid Mm. and and, you know everything just blew up and we were just kind of we actually thought I thought I'm going to have to get a day job because we're done we're out of the game we're out of the picture we're done we're done we can't Garage was so big and then it was hitting the charts and all the magazines that had been talking about Jungle, they didn't want to know anymore. Mixed Mag, uh, DJ Mag. Yeah. It was all of a sudden up from me, Goldie and those Ronnie size being on the cover. Mm. It was so Solid Crew. And all those guys, We when we were bringing out releases, we were trying to hit up Mixmag. They weren't interested. Mm, They'd wow. give you a little tiny section <laughs> and we was like, what is going on, man? So it became very white. It became very white, and and I, as I said, you know, I I tried to get even my friends into liquid, and they weren't really, they didn't really, they weren't really into it, man. And it didn't recover. But I think things are changing now. I yeah. think things are changing now. I think now because things are getting a lot more raw. Uh, you know, it's really funny because my daughter, who's who's mixed, she's eighteen. And she loves drum and bass. <laughs> she loves it. She comes out with me and everything. Oh, and nice. she she went to a party the other day and it was all like, you know, young black kids. And she put on drum and bass and they were like, take this shit off. No. They was not into it at all. They were like, what is this? this I'm, I'm, take it off. And they then they put on grime and, and they were all kind of dancing around mm. and... And my daughter felt that. And she was like, Dad, like, what is it? And I said, I, I just, I don't, maybe it's the speed.
2: I don't know. I Do you don't... think they know the origin of drum and bass? No. Do you think if they no, did, they they'd think differently about it? I don't know.
0: I think drum and bass, just going back to like when I lived in Bath and we're going Bristol. Mm. Bristol's quite big in drum and bass. Yeah, oh, massive. And massive. the crowd was predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would seldom see a black person in motion.
1: Yeah, very, I actually very, saw yeah. um,
0: you and grew Vida in, um, it must have been 2014 or 15. Really? Yeah. But like, yeah, you don't, like it, you, if you go to drum and bass rave in Bristol, it's white. Yeah. But yeah, Bristol's a big hub for that genre and that sound. And it is quite white. Oh, it's very white. Yeah.
1: And you know, in, now in London, so my daughter comes out and she, the last, because there was illegal raves, Mm. going on a lot more black people started going out to them and she came down to the cause last week with her friend a, a black guy and he's and he's rode, he's, he's like probably yeah man yeah 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 mm-hmm. and he loves it and he said and I spoke to him and I said I are oh, your mates into this he said yeah they're getting into it said so they're getting into it okay. little by little. So I think there is a change mm. happening. I think there is a change. Mm. I think the kids are into it. I, I, as I said before, I don't know if it's the speed. I think they can relate as well to the lyrics of Grime a little bit yeah, more. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? And that, you know, the the the, the universal language... The tribal universal language. Mm. I've always been into instrumentals. I've never really played vocals. I don't think they can really connect with it at the moment, but hopefully they will. Mm. Hopefully they will. It's just
2: really interesting to, to think, isn't it? Like,
1: like like the music you play. Do you get a black crowd?
2: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I love some self yeah. connection. <laughs>
0: Yes, I know. I. I, don't I mean, know. majority are going to be white. Majority are white. I think. Is. Yeah, the underground. Because I'd say, like, the kind of underground circle that I'm in is still predominantly, like, I mean, some. I mean, fortunately, like on Sunday, with like me, Helena, Star. Mm. There was a good mix, but there are some lineups that I know or venues I'm, I know it's going to be a predominantly white crowd. But I do f- hope that over the next six, seven months, but I also think because of what I'm doing, I've got my own followership of people. Yeah. Yeah, so I had so sure. many black and white people just coming up to me being like, Nick's like the black band camps. stuff you're doing. It's great. Yeah. But I think there is still a shift that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. There's still a big yeah. shift mm-hmm. that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. If you go to, it's weird. If you go, like I said, to a grime party, it will be quite mixed. Because a, yeah. oh, a lot of white kids Oh, of course, hundred percent A lot of white kids are. hundred percent Obviously, 100%. grime is a genre that speaks to working class people across Absolutely. the board, regardless Absolutely. of Absolutely. ethnicity or race. Yep. Um, drum and bass, I think, still speaks predominantly to white people. Yeah. Um, there's not quite that kind of organic, authentic sound of that, the rawness of grime that maybe doesn't speak to black people yeah. as much. Mm. But I think the kind of electronic realm that I'm in is it's fairly mixed, but I'd say it's still predominantly like a white crowd. Mm. But, you know, as it as we move into the next six, a months, I'd like to think that if someone knows about me and they're coming to watch me, then they'll know this is a space and environment yeah. for Of course, us. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 right, right, right. Funny right, enough,
0: right. Rhythm Section, I played Rhythm Section oh, for yeah. Bradley Zero, Bradley Zero Sick, and it, there was a group. They I remember walking into the green room. And there was like seven black people. And I thought, oh, okay, hello. You know, it's like, hi. And um, (laughs) like three of the women had dreadlocks and whatnot. And they came up to me and they were like, your set spoke to me. She said, like, your set spoke to me. And I remember I was DJing and I saw them on the left, like, you know, proper dancing. And they were like, your set really spoke to me. And I said, oh, thank you. And that's really nice. But I hope more of that happens.
2: Well, this is why representation is so important because they will see you.
0: That's what I'm saying. And they yeah. feel they're
2: being, they're being spoken to by someone yeah. that looks like them or they can and I, relate to. And I
0: even had like two, I remember like there were two white girls that came up to me and they were like, I've not seen a black female DJ in yeah. my life.
1: Yeah, right. Wow. So big ups. Wow. that's mad.
0: Uh, they look younger than me, that's but mad. they were literally in awe and they were like big ups.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's just like, hopefully that shift will happen with the kind
1: of different genres and sounds, mm. well, I think you know what as well. I think live streaming, I've seen a lot more black females yeah. mm-hmm. on yeah. live streams. And there's a there's a black uh, female drum bass DJ called Temper, and she, I, I she, uh, she used to just be a fan, and she came out with me a couple of times, and then she started DJing literally about a year and a half ago, and she said, "Look, is there any way you can write a letter to the council because I want to get a grant." Um, so I can get some studio equipment and stuff like that. And I wrote a letter to the council saying, you know, we need more black females. And she represents a a scene that really hasn't got any black females. And um, I wrote this uh, really heartfelt and they gave her the grant. Oh, Oh, wow. They gave her the grant and she is now starting to kill it. You're going to have to link me to her. Yeah, no, I will. And and she's dark skinned as well, which is great. She's dark skinned and she's, Dope. She's See. she's she's a sick DJ, and she's done a couple of live streams now, and she's getting put on now. People See. have oh, seen great. her, and I've seen her on lineups, and I'm like, oh. and she sent me a bottle of champagne.
0: Oh, oh that's yeah, so nice. No, it was
1: so nice of her to do yeah. that. And uh, Temper D B, watch out for her. Okay. I'll, give her, yeah, give her thing. I'll give you her.
0: Yeah, give me her. I'll give you her details.
1: And she yeah. and she's great. And it's not just a fact She's a black female. She's really good. Yeah, she's really 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 good. And I I feel so happy to have helped her. Yeah. Because now she did get the student equipment. She's making some bad oh, tunes. Sick. She sent me a little tune the other day. And I was nice. like, I need to start crying. I was like, wow. Oh. And she's like, oh, I'm forever indebted to you. And I'm, But she just needed that little mm. lift, man. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And it has helped her no end. Mm. And and she's going to blow. She's going to definitely blow. She's got a thing. And if you see her, you'll sit down and go, wow, yeah. this girl's I'm got excited. a vibe, yeah, yeah, yeah. man. And there's a, there's a girl called Emma as well. okay AMA and she's doing a massive gig and they're putting her on main stages now. Okay, good. So and it's and, it, and it's great man and she's just got a vibe as well. So right and stuff. Yeah, get yeah, yeah, like yeah, those AMA, AMA, <laughs> AMA capital letters okay. and she so these are two black women that are killing it in the last 6 months. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? This weren't happening before. I've Def, got to yeah. tell you, oh, then yeah. when, I didn't even see black people in the club. So to see two black women yeah. killing it, it's just like, wow. wow. It's giving yeah. me gifts. It's giving me
0: goofs. But it's yeah. there is a shift, because I'm just thinking of my four-day weekend that I had. Friday and Sunday, I was on the same lap as Helena Starr and yeah. Jossie Mitsu, yeah. Yeah. who was part of yeah, Six Figure yeah, Gang. So yeah. that's already two black women that, not only am I playing with, but I'm vibing with, I'm dancing yeah, with. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, was at Fabric Sunday night, Monday morning, bumped into Sherelle. Yeah. So like, do yes. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I'm actually not, you're not only life but you're in, you're occupying the space. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is nice and I think it's refreshing and like, as we come through, like our generation coming through, let's go out together. Yeah. We're in an environment yeah, that we course. need to be and there'll be more of us, whether it's behind the decks, whether it's in the club. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it does really make a difference. Yeah. And you just bump each other say, hi, Lorraine James bumped into in the green room. It's just like so comforting and warm to see each other out. And it's like you're going out and
2: creating the the place you want to be in, you know, and just by existing and doing it. I think that's actually a really good point. Like there are actually loads of black women out there in our generation coming through. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to say thank you to Fabio and, and all you guys for literally creating that space years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I do, mm-hmm. I say this a lot in this podcast, but I do feel really excited about mm-hmm. our generation. Mm-hmm. because oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, we're all kind of on the same vibe. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I get that because even my daughters, I've got a daughter who's 25 and a daughter who's 18 mm-hmm. and, um, they're both mixed and they have grown up to be so, focused. Yeah. And they're on the same page, even though they're six years apart, they've got the same ideals. They fight for the same causes. They're very militant. Both of them are Mm -hmm. really militant. And my youngest, who I never thought really would be like that, we put her into a private school, which was the stupidest thing. (laughs) I just had a little bit of money and I just thought, for some reason, I got on some bougie vibes Mm -hmm. and I put her into The worst thing that could ever happen to her, she was coming home and she was like, Dad, like, there, there are kids that have got a lift in their house.
2: Yeah,
1: they've got twenty five bedrooms and mm. shit. We had to get her out. We had to get her out, and and it was kind of like she then became very aware that she didn't know what color she was. Mm. And when That's she exactly
2: how I felt, and a, she got to a stage a where I was
1: really, really worried about her, and I was like, oh my god, she really hasn't haven't got, you know, she doesn't know what to be, yeah. she doesn't know what she is. Mm. And then she just, once she went to a normal school, she just found herself and it kind of happened overnight. And she's now so balanced. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And she's so um, in tune with her blackness. She really is. And my eldest is like beyond belief, but I was really worried about her and she has become So solid. And, you know, all of her friends are on the same wavelength, white and black. They all think the same way. They're all pro, like, minorities. Yeah. And they all, they'll go, you know, she went on marches and stuff like that. Stuff that I would never have done when I was a kid. Mm Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, for the environment. And, you know, she's a vegan. And you know how come she's a vegan? She went online when she was 14. (laughs) She went online, read up on it. And said, I don't want to eat meat no more. And it wasn't mm-hmm. it it yeah, even a decision where she thought, I'm going to be cool. Because 2014, it weren't even that cool to be vegan. She just made this conscious decision. And I was like, I rate you, you know. Mm. I rate you. Your mother didn't tell you to do it. You have made up your own mind on something. Yeah. And that just shows how this generation, I've got real hope. Mm. I really have. I've really got hope. And I know that there's still a lot of bullshit going on, but I just think now people, no fear of cancelling people who do bad shit. Yeah. They don't care. It's kind of like, what, serious? And you know, the, the, the last thing that I want to kind of say on this thing, like even after the World Cup, the debacle at the Euros with the yeah. black players that mm-hmm. missed the penalties. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really funny because I was watching it with a white friend And I said, you don't know Mm. what is going to happen. And he went, really? And he went, no. I said, five minutes later, we went on Twitter. There was a thousand racist comments. Mm. And so you sit down as far as you go, you know, you, you make these steps forward. Shit like that makes you sit down and think, as you said, it's covert.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, you know, people that are probably thinking that they're just really being funny. And some loner loser sitting down in front of his computer thinking, right, I'm just going to be racist now. Mm. And it just it just makes you realise that we've still got a long way to go. Mm. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. But I am really, 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 really confident that your generation mm. will make a difference. I really have. Yeah. You know, even yourself, you know, telling me that story of, you know, growing up in the Channel Islands. I'm like, yeah, it's
2: what? a weird place.
1: That's bad. <laughs> and you've now come and you've just kind of like come aware and you've wanted to find out mm. and oh, discovered definitely. stuff and definitely. you know, st- like even the stuff that you're asking me, I know it's cause you weren't there and you just you wanna find out the history. And that's so important. Yeah. You know, it's so important. I always ask a lot of questions. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I have a
2: podcast.
1: Um, I'm conscious of time. I just
2: really want to ask this. I want to talk about the Mobos. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Because recently they've been criticized for not acknowledging electronic music Mm. in the program. Like when they first started, I think in the mid 90s, they did acknowledge Jungle. I think Groove Rider won a his album. And then Goldie has won Mm -hmm. Best Album. And then they did... But like when Garage was coming through, they, they yeah. were representing that. But the sort of mm-hmm. post like 2000. Nothing. Nothing. And, you know, like the Mobos happened last October. Mm. And like, and it, it was kind of so weird to watch it last year. I remember I was talking to Helena the Star thing and mm. a few others are just like, it's actually mad that it's just like dance music, it, it, you know, even with the umbrella term dance music is not acknowledged Mm. at the Mm. Music of Black Origin Awards. What do you make of that,
1: guys? Do you know what? That has happened. That's been happening for a long time. And when Groove won, when Groove Rider won his award, um, it was when Jungle It was at its height. Yeah. Mm. And then they just didn't mention dance music at all. And it's really annoyed me. And it's for a long time. You know, 10 years ago, like I sat down and thought, what what is this, man? Why don't they music of black origin? I think it's because they don't think the music's black. Mm -hmm. They don't. And I just think they, and and unfortunately, they live in a bubble. They live in this bubble and it's like Afro beats and grime. And I think it's quite populist. And I just think they don't think it's cool to represent dance music, mm. which is really, really sad because if they really were to know that the creators of dance music are black, because I don't think they'd have no idea. They probably think David Goethe invented dance music. But isn't that just the maddest thing? It's the maddest thing. Yeah. But I just think they, I think, I think they're so shut off in that world yeah. that they've got no real interest in what we're doing. And I think it's really sad because I think there's a lot of black people involved in dance music that should have been honoured. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Even historically, even if they turn around and went blah, 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 you know, the biggest music form in the world, really, dance music, it's black people. Yeah. You know, if even one day they turn around and went, look, you guys, I know you don't know who Derek May is, but this guy...
2: Yes, acknowledge it.
1: Acknowledge it. Do you know what I'm saying? Even history. If, even if you give him a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. Do you know, I know yeah. that's it, it's, it's quite condescending but even if they done that it would just be a respect thing do you know what I'm saying mm. whether someone I think someone should just talk to them about it man
2: I actually have reached out <laughs> you should reach out to them yeah because you, you and should. Helena did the next yes. piece yeah you? so um, yeah me and Helena wrote an article basically arguing this and just yeah. calling out and we have reached out to them um, like me and my agent and Helena and we do We they're being a bit long, basically, but we we are trying to get in there and actually, you know, have a conversation with them. And you know, there's so many black artists, new and old, that they could do a category. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Of course, I think definitely. Like the issue is just how globally dance and electronic music has been marketed back to black people Mm. in this white. Eurocentric, whitewashed. So David Greta, Calvin Harris. Mm. So naturally, black people who don't that aren't as fortunate as us yeah. <laughs> and no, don't think it's for them. Don't think it's for them. But um, that's perpetuating the problem. It perpetuates it is. the problem. No, it, is. 100%. it needs to come from all 100%. sides. It no, it does. But also, if you look at if you do look at the genres, if you kind of deep the genres that are in it. Yeah. So like grime, R and B, etc. They're all genres that are like. Accessible, yes to the true. to the common I'm ear, saying. and I'd, I'm saying this with a kind of mainstream finger, so to the mainstream here. Yeah. This is music that's accessible, and the Mobos has moved into that kind of, of commercial it has. Yes, world.
1: It has, so, yeah, 100%.
0: How would you market? Like, yeah. I've got there's so many albums, like Lorraine James' recent Reflections album. Who is at there's so many albums? Like, mm. do you the list mm. is endless. How do you? make that fit into an an already painted picture, how do you slot it in? To them, you wouldn't be able to, but you absolutely can. But I think there will need to be, like it will need to happen because, you know, a lot of conversations that are going on, this always comes up. Like how is Mobo's, like music of black origin and it's a UK based um, platform it's not american it's uk yeah. and you've got people like Gerald Simpson in the country yeah. who made one of the biggest dance tracks in the world like yeah. ever yeah. and they've not been included into that it is bizarre but i think they they i think it, the the bigger picture is there is a shift happening which will affect the structures of the bigger industry mm. so things will have to start to change and fortunately everything's happening on what feels like more of a macro scale not just like oh, people having conversations about stuff. It's actually happening in industry, in institutions and structures. So hopefully that will filter through because when you get people headlining main stages at festivals, yeah, that's how yeah, your name yeah, yeah. gets into the mouth of someone in a mainstream commercial of course, industry. Of course, Oh yeah, I saw this girl play the head main stage at Glastonbury or Best of Whatever. Check her out. Oh, she's actually a techno, a black female who yeah. plays techno. Yeah, 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 I've never yeah, heard. Yeah, yeah. That's how it happens. True, that's yeah. how true, it happens. So true. there will be a shift and it might take a few years, but that, paradigm shift will happen and then things will start to naturally i'm very much into like things move and change and then mm-hmm. things follow yeah and i think yeah. that is happening
1: um it's funny Is also there's a there's a i'm not going to blow, blow him up there's a white house dj that was on radio one when i was on radio one uh-huh. so on instagram he's been reaching out and going i i, I messaged him I was, he lives in i'm not going to say where he lives actually but he, you know I, I was like how are you So we was having a bit we was having a conversation. And then about two days later, he came back to me. He was being all right. He was being a little bit lukewarm. He came back to me and he was like, oh my God, I was like, what? And he went, I looked you up on Wikipedia. I had no idea you guys were so... Like into house music from '88, and was so part of bringing house music to the masses, and invented jungle. But he completely changed his whole vibe. Was kind of like I looked on wiki, and he was kind of like, and he said, "I hope he doesn't watch this because he's actually (laughs) quite a cool guy." He said, "If I'd known." the history of you guys back in the day I would have got to know you a bit more and I thought, really? <laughs> mm, okay. mm. I didn't know how to feel about that. But he was being, I think, I've got to give him the fact he was being really honest. Mm. Yeah, fair You enough. know what I'm saying? So I, I gave him, but he was so shocked and I thought, you didn't know. Mm. We were on Radio 1 together for four years. You had no idea because he just thought we were just a couple of guys yeah. mm. playing jungle, drum and bass. And he had no idea about wow. our history. So it is so important because when we did Rage, the reunion last year, we did a video and we told, we'd done a video about our history and so many people came up and was like, we had no idea. We did not know you guys uh, were so steeped in in, in in dance music history. and And it took that to let them know. And I thought that's a bit sad. But it is what it is. And I think time changes stuff. And we have definitely got with me and Groove a different people definitely approach us different after we've done the rage gig because I think yeah. people did know. And you know what? Don't get me wrong. It's not, I don't expect people to know. I don't sit down and think, well, you should have known because, you, know, sh- you know, time moves on. And unless you read about shit, you won't know. But I know that most things and most artists that I like, I always like to know their history. Yeah, I, I, I'll mm, read up mm, about mm. them and I'll find where, where they've come from, what they used to do, because that really interests me. I always mm. like to hear someone's story mm. and how they got to where they got. mm and um not everyone's like that, so I can't expect that. But, you know, it would be nice, you know, if mm. if the Mobos did sit down and go, Yeah, we mm. are b- two black British guys have yeah. been so instrumental in doing so much. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It would be lovely to get just a bit of recognition. Yeah. And a little bit of love, do you know what I'm saying? But who knows? It, it it may happen. It may happen because there is a paradigm shift in yeah. in, in the way people think.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think we said time. It does feel like we're at this like tipping point where things Absolutely. really are changing. And I just hope that, you know, although it's just like just over a year after George Floyd's death and Black Lives Matter. I do. I hope this momentum continues and it does feel at the moment like it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We just got to hope it once everyone goes back into clubs that everyone yeah. doesn't just get brain dead again and it's kind of like you know I just want to go out and 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 they forget yeah and
0: one of the points that I think we had down and is something that I've started to do when I when a oh, yeah. promoter reached out to me I asked them can you show me your the last five years lineups yeah so I'll go through the lineup and it on if there hasn't been any sort of like, oh, I will just, I have to question it before. Because mm, 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 I don't want you to put me on the lineup just because you want to tick a yeah, box. Yeah, right. Because that's what right, people right, do. Right, they, oh, yeah. And, 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 oh, there's and a lot of like, that going on. We have to be very careful of, like, yeah. very careful. Yeah. Um And so putting that into your rider, like, just ensuring that, you know, that if you're booking me, you need to be on the same side. Of the fight that I'm on. And hopefully stuff like that will just mean that. Yeah, we can go back to DJing and because that's our passion, that's Mm. what we pay our bills with. But there's a conscious element to it. Mm. And having a rider which just says, you know, like object, one of my favourite German DJs, he has in his thing. If the line doesn't have at least 50% women, he won't play mm. and he's a headliner in our yeah. underground world. He's like yeah. a headliner, right? So if you've got people of, of that level doing that, mm. it will have to change. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah. For, sure. for sure.
0: Yeah. Really well said. Mm. Um,
2: So this is Utopia Talks, as you can see on our lovely mic mm. muffs. I don't know if you've noticed these. Lovely. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so on this podcast is all about, you know, creating change through conversation and, and, I like to think that this isn't what we talk about. It isn't just going to stay in this room, you know. Like I'm all about making change. I know you guys are too. And I ask everyone at the end of each episode, "What is your utopia? What's your ideal world? What does it look like?" Who wants to go
1: first? You can go first.
0: It's interesting because, like, the world—that's a big thing. So I'm going to bring it down to like our dance music. Yeah, sure. Element. Dance music is life. so yeah. Dance music is life. It's our lives, anyways. Um, I guess just for everything that I do personally and I'm convicted in to just be normalised and to the point where we don't have to have these conversations. Yeah. Because I always think it's always interesting and I read a lot of books and I'm currently reading The Good Immigrant and does a white man have to wake up and think if I walk down the street and walk past someone they might be scared of me? Kind of that you had you had earlier, yeah. or if someone looks at me, they're going to have a pre kind of concept. And I just that's my utopia where nobody has to think. Well, I can't walk like this, or dress like this, or talk like this, or behave in a certain way. Where we can all just be ourselves without any fear of like backlash, worry, or anxiety as to the kind of preconceptions that unfortunately are internalised about black women, black men. So you know. It's just a norm to have a lineup where it's just diverse and there's no talk about having to, you know, do it in a tokenistic way or anything. It's just, that's the norm. Mm. Mm. And I hope genuinely that, like, in the next decade, it's normalised. This is normalised. What we're talking about is normalised mm. and it's not a conversation. It's just a thing. It's a thing. It's just normal where yeah. lineups are diverse and people can just freely roam in the club behind the booth and not feel a certain way not feel like we're occupying space we shouldn't be that's something I've felt mm. a, lot, a lot more in the past not so much now because I've you grow confidence in yourself yeah, kind of course. like what you're saying about your daughter yeah. and you know that you deserve to be in that room you deserve mm. a space there you deserve mm. your name to be on the top line of that lineup. because mm. there were times where I'd be like oh. I don't know. Like, is this space for me? Am I occupying something? No, you occupy that space, mm. and you do that with your head held high. Yeah. So, this kind of world where every everything we're talking about now is is normalised, and everyone feels like they belong. Yeah, yeah,
1: I really like that. That's really good, and you know, it's it's and it's, it's achievable. Of course, it is. I think so. I, I think, I think, I think the last three years have really kind of shown us um i think covid you know i lost a few friends to covid um a lot has happened and out of all this in a funny sort of way as you said you know i remember at the beginning of covid everyone was like yeah we it is a reset and i really 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 think it was Mm. because even before covid happened i ran myself into the ground DJing. I literally did. I was waking up and didn't know where I was. Didn't know if I was in a hotel, what country I was in. And I really needed that break so badly. So badly. I didn't. And because you, you got to remember, you know, being worn out affects you as a DJ because yeah. I was falling out of love with it a little bit. I was falling out of love with people fighting over who's on the top of the bill and corporate people coming in and dictating shit. And I just thought this is getting like work for the first time in 35 years. I thought this is like a day job now. This is like working in fucking Burger King. And I was just really disorientated with a lot of things. But a lot of those things now I think are dispelled because I think so much has happened. It will never go back to how it was because I think before lockdown happened, dance music was on a on a dangerous downward spiral. Mm. Um, I really do. I think the corporate world was taking over and turning it into big business. But I think there's, I think we've reclaimed it in a really bizarre sort of way. I think DJs like yourself, and there's a lot of DJs growing up with different, a completely different ethos, and they're not having the shit no yeah. more. They're mm-hmm. demanding stuff mm. that people were taking for granted before and and tokenism and stuff like that, people are just calling shit out now. So my utopia, I've kind of really had it like with Acid House. That to me was, I look back on it and without a shadow of a doubt, there was the happiest days of my life because it broke, dance music broke down so many barriers and I remember those barriers. I remember the days where, you know, as a black man, I just felt like, you know, I was going into clubs that were playing black music, and they wouldn't want to let me in, and saying to me shit like, "The clubs is too busy," and then you see white guys rolling in, and I, and, you know, and 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 then dance music happened, and because it was illegal, they just let anyone in. No one gave a shit yeah. about anything. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like we were all on the same page. We're all this underground mass. Because you got to remember, when dance music started, it was a f- twenty, thirty thousand people probably in the world that was into yeah. it. And I'll tell you a really funny story. Kevin Saunderson, when he first came over um, and, and he did Sunrise, I think one of the early Acid House raves. And I remember him coming over and he was like, Oh my God. Cause he was this black guy making this music that America didn't really give a fuck about. They didn't mm. give a fuck about, Detroit shit out there. You know, he was playing in tiny little clubs mm. and he was coming to England and he just sat down and thought, all I know of England is the Queen and Beef Eaters <laughs> and Buckingham Palace. And I, I was pissing myself when he said that. And he was just like, I can't believe they're all dancing to my tunes. I was like, Derek, man, you know, you don't understand how much we love you, man. And it and it, it was such, I don't think people understand. It's such a magical thing. Dance music. It really is. I feel so free. Mm. And I don't think, you know, and the constraints that were put on dance music over the years, because it was commercialized, Mm. because we went from breaking into fucking warehouses to huge corporate billion, billion dollar companies coming in and raping our shit. And, you know, I just think, you know, my utopia is just getting back Mm. to that underground people are going to take this back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're going to start teaching these kids, this is what you should be listening to. Not all this kind of, oh yeah, it's got to be big room and it's got to be really, commercial. it's got to have a big hook. Do you know what I mean? Fuck all that. You know, let's go back to grassroots yeah. and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Go back to that tribalism. You know, th- what I always said when, when a, a famous house DJ went, why don't you play vocals? And I said, you know what? It it probably comes from the slave days of listening to drums. That man that didn't sing. Yeah. Then That man that was licking to drum and they were getting that, that language yeah. Yeah. and that vibe yeah. from those drums, right? And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And he do you know what? He had to he had to walk away. He went, All oh, right, he was he went, good answer. And yeah. I thought, yeah, you're fucking damn right it's a good answer. <laughs> it's the right answer. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And also you guys, you know, it's so amazing to find young women, whether you're white, whether you're black, really making a point. I don't know why women it's taken so long. I don't know why. I don't know if there's just been a, something's happened and women feel like I I can do what I want to do, but I really feel it. Even my daughter wants to be a DJ now. Oh, do you know what I'm saying? She wants to be a DJ, and 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 what you guys are doing is amazing. And you know the masculinity of dance music and of mm-hmm. music per se. I, I think you know th- the way you guys are breaking it down and 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 and, and bringing your touch is, is 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 just what we need mm-hmm. right now in this music Oof, business. I that. really, I really, <laughs> I really, I really, I really think it is, mm-hmm. and it's got nothing to do with femininity. It's 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 just your take on it is is so – it's really important. It really is because I hate to think of you two being out back in the day and thinking, oh, yeah, these DJs are great, and not once thinking, I can do this. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. I can fucking do what he's doing. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Now you feel like you can, mm. and that goes back to the – young black girl in Birmingham mm. who do you know what I'm saying? I inspired and and I wrote that letter mm. and and you know I feel so proud. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I just really feel like and I know she's gonna blow up and she's gonna smash it and and you know, go girl, you do your thing.
2: Oh, I love to hear that. And I just want to end as well. There's a feminist, she was called Audrey Lord, and she in her she's written loads of books and she's amazing but she said that the human race is evolving through women mm-hmm. essentially you know the world is being kind of constructed and built in a patriarchal world by men it's kind of like now women have voices and we have like a sisterhood going on mm-hmm. and i feel like in terms of the next wave of um evolution it's coming through these different voices who are now coming up and can speak
1: yeah no for sure mm-hmm. no definitely so women are great <laughs>
0: Berlin East Side Wall. How's God? She's black. Yeah. Favorite quote. So <laughs> that's good. deep. That, sick. that
1: is deep, so man. Good.
0: Next, Fabio. Thank you so
2: much for being in the podcast. Yep. I love that. Thanks, Thanks for that. having us. Really enjoyed that.
0: Really enjoyed it. Really I'm good. just honoured to be sat in the same room as Fabio because. Yeah, me too. Honestly.
1: <laughs> Pioneers. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank but, you very much. Thank you.
2: So that's it. I hope you've enjoyed series one. We've heard from so many amazing guests from Heidi, Avtomat, Sama Abdul Hadi, Rowetta, and I've loved hearing from their experiences and I hope that our conversations spark a change for the better in our scene. Please let me know what you thought of the series. I'm on at Jaguar Worldwide on the socials and if you missed any episodes, you can catch them all on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Thank you, Katie Baxter, for smashing the production. And we'll be back. Keep an eye out for details on Series 2. Keep safe, and I'll see you soon.
1: Utopia Talks is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.